Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, mission control deck. And most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. A little bit of a personal story thought you guys would enjoy to open up the show today uh, i was at our local bar named in a burst of creativity the local uh, i guess we give them a lot of business and i realized about 25 minutes into what began as a light conversation and became an impassioned debate about bigfoot and uh, cryptozoology in general it's like wow Yelling at someone about cryptozoology in a bar is just very on-brand for me. It might be the most on-brand <laughs> thing I've done in the past month. How, how, what level of yelling are we, are we talking here? Just raised voices, what corporate America would call a healthy conversation. Oh, so you wouldn't uh, elevate it to the level of a rant? There was no aggro, really. There were disagreements, but it was, it was a respectful exchange uh, of intellectual 
perspectives. And to be fair, the, if you're in a bar, it's a little noisy. So a certain level of voice raising is already acceptable as like a baseline of communication. Yeah, right? but if that music comes down and you're like, but the sheer surface area of the forest. <laughs> oh, you were there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it did. It did get to a thing where uh, or it got. It did get to a point where he said, you know what? Let's go outside. And we went outside to the front porch area and continued talking. Beautiful. But this this got me thinking that we have we've explored so many different types of cryptids uh, in the past. You know, we've explored Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Mothman, uh, allegations of dinosaurs in parts of what was that Western Africa? Yeah, we, we've talked about some worms that were really creepy. I remember the Mongolian death worm. Yeah, I love that one. Are those like the ones from Tremors? Do you think? They seem – it's almost as if the ones from Tremors are based somehow on that idea. Uh, they're not as big as the worms from Tremors. The Mongolian death worms. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. yeah. What about the sandworms from uh, – Beetlejuice? Or, 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 or from uh, Dune. No, oh. no, no. Those, those things would be – the sandworms <laughs> from Dune would be the largest uh, organisms to exist on Earth if they were real. Yeah. Be cool. Yeah. I would if there was a big if there was a bigger thing than a whale. Uh, I would hope it was not a worm. But you know, yeah, and we'd all be in the spice business anyway. That's true. That's true. We would. But we since we've discussed the concept of cryptozoology in earlier episodes, we don't need to go into all of it today. Uh, we can just give you the quick and dirty recap. So here are the facts. Cryptozoology. Something we very much enjoy on this show is is the study of and search for animals that are a lot of times considered either extinct or legends. The the legendary Moklemembe mm-hmm. that we've talked about before. It's technically the mission of a cryptozoologist uh, to evaluate the possibility of the existence of something, some animal's existence. And so a lot of times there's specialization that occurs here. Yeah, and that's – I love that you point out. Te- the, the technically that's their mission because yeah. one of the criticisms that cryptozoologists get, and there are many, uh, is that they are setting out to prove something they already believe. You know what I mean? Like they're oh, setting yes. out with an agenda like I know in my heart the um, uh, the four-tooth waffle snapper is real yeah. and a relic population exists in the Alps or the Pyrenees or what have you and I'm going to prove that I am correct rather than – prove the truth. And a lot of that has to do with the popularity of, I'm just going to use one example here of something like squatching, like going out squatching to find a Sasquatch, um, which is, you know, it sounds silly, um, but it is. Wait, is that what you call it, really? You yeah. go out of squatching? Yeah. Of, you of an squ- evening? You can go squatching. Yeah. I mean, so that's pe- real. So people squatch. Pretty sure there are Discovery Channel shows where people go squatching on the regular. So if you are a fan of uh, the search for Bigfoot or Sasquatch-related creatures, let us know if that came organically from your community or if a (laughs) producer at, you know, uh, Discovery made it up. (laughs) Who knows? All I know is that that I think that concept of someone going out to prove – the existence of something they already believe in maybe is tied into that. Yeah, yeah. And the animals that they're looking for, the life forms have not been conclusively proven to exist, are called cryptids. So cryptozoologists, 
cryptids. They're popular types of cryptids, the greatest hits. We all we all know them, we love them, like the Elvis of cryptids or the Jay-Z of cryptids, the um, – uh, who's a, another musician? Really? Nas? The Nas of cryptids. Uh, or Cisco? Cisco. <laughs> no. Give me a different genre. <laughs> he Diddy? The, the Pavarotti oh, oh, of cryptids? Uh, oh, no, he's canceled. The T-Bone uh-huh. Burnett? He, he's uh, he's uh, not quite famous enough the, to see. He's more of a big name. Uh, the um, hmm. Alexander Hamilton. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> of the, cryptids. Yeah. He's the um, Dr. Frankenfurter of cryptids. <gasps> Ooh. Is that the right name from Rocky, Rocky Horror. Horror Picture Show? Yeah. yeah, he's the Paul Deccant of cryptids, Bigfoot. Got the, it. Paul, the Paul Simon, even. <laughs> I'll go. take it. I'll take it. And that would uh, also apply to things like the Loch Ness monster in earlier days, the Jersey Devil, which would be more of a Garfunkel of cryptids. I would argue not. I would think they were a different band. We're going to hit a lot of Garfunkel cryptids today. In, in, in other words, the the lesser. Mm-hmm. Paul actually. Uh, told us he created this file as B-team cryptids. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he wasn't joking. He's a, he's a very serious man. It's it's reminiscent of our B-team superpowers episode we did, right? Yeah, which was still so interesting. Like the, the fact that magnetic people just have very frictive skin. Yeah. And they ended up on the B-team. They ended up on the B-team. They were like the Great Lakes Avengers for all you comic fans out there. <laughs> We already talked about this on air, right? We, did. we talked about that in the very episode, I believe. Great Lakes Avengers? I do believe so. There's one guy who's doorman. It's his, <laughs> pa- his power. I, I just have to mention this for anybody who hasn't heard this uh, because I'm still fascinated by it. Doorman has the uh, amazing superpower uh, that allows him to – when he's standing next to a wall, people can walk through him th- and then through the wall. That's it. It doesn't – he can't teleport. He can't, you know, be intangible. He can just become a door. But he can become a door and then go on the other side, right? So technically I he can go through walls. I don't know. He could open up. He could walk up to the wall, become a door, and then exit on the other side. That's just walking through walls, though, Matt, what you're <laughs> describing. That's, I that's guess, pretty dope. I guess it's more like a super convenience than he's, a superpower. He's more of a super helper than he is a, a superhero. He's kind of a super furniture right. piece. All right. Superheroes aside. Yes. Let's jump back to uh, ye cryptozoology. Right. Okay. So here's the strange thing about cryptozoology. Although it is often called a pseudoscience, uh, although – uh, you know, most people in the academy, capital A, dismiss it as pure malarkey and poppycock. Uh, or and a, and a lot of people in the the world of the layman see it as, at the very least, controversial, entertaining, maybe more like reality TV junk food. You know what I mean? Rather than some serious pursuit. But the truth of the matter is, the ugly truth of the matter for people who hate cryptozoology is that researchers have actually verified the existence or rediscovery, we should say, of multiple real animals that were once thought to be myths or legends or extinct. And we've got famous examples of those like the coelacanth. Uh, gorillas were thought to be mythical for a long time. Yeah. Uh, just to jump in, that coelacanth was a fish that we thought for humanity thought for centuries that mm-hmm. this thing had been extinct and then it just showed up again and yeah. if nobody was looking then it maybe maybe it would have just come back and we wouldn't have known still but thank goodness 
for ye cryptozoologist. Yeah, and also we have to point out in both of those cases, uh, this discovery comes about because Western Europeans finally saw these animals that the local people in the region had known about for years. Yeah. Uh, the the local community where the coelacanth was rediscovered uh, said – first off, they were very unimpressed with the fish and not think it was a big deal. And their reaction was very much like a uh, big whoop because those things taste like trash. Yeah. What are we going to do with it on, a, on an applicable level? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, and uh, so we know that cryptozoology has successes, but it also has some baked-in flaws, some things that make it very difficult for, let's say, zoologists to take cryptozoologists seriously. And one of the biggest problems, uh, the most prevalent problems in the field of cryptozoology is the potential to misidentify some of these things. We see it time and time again. It can happen super easily. Most people, for example— haven't really seen a bear in the wild, let alone right up close. Uh, if you add to that the um, the adrenaline rush that comes with the initial sighting of of said creature, and you know the the fallibility of our memories mm. as as imperfect human beings, despite what we like to tell ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, additionally, um, you've got just hoaxes aplenty. Well, you know, and this is a really great point here. Let's just say we make an example out of it. Uh, the four of us in this room plus you, we're we're all walking around in the woods. We've got all our gear to find our Squatch. We know we, – we don't believe it's out there, but we want to prove that it's out there or not. And we happen upon something on a, a ridge high above us. It seems to be brown, the color that – oh, Sasquatch might be that color. And I can just see some – it looks like fur up there moving around. Um, just this example that we've given here of, of a bear – if we all observe this thing and we're unable to get up there to get our eyes on it and it sounds like there's maybe a weird noise occurring up near this location. Whoop, 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 sort of a Three Stooges kind of sound, right? Oh, my okay. God. So what is that? Oh, my God. What is happening up there? It, it may be within us to – at least a few of us would probably believe, perhaps you – that that was a Sasquatch, even if we can't prove it was or not. Mm-hmm. But another percentage of us would say, oh, that's just a bear, guys. We didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that in, I think, is what we're talking about here. Yeah. And there, there's another weird twist. We're in a immensely fascinating time for cryptozoology. 2019 is the best time uh, for cryptozoology since – the past few centuries, really, since back in the days when people were still exploring the edges of maps. And it leads us to a weird twist. So the human population is growing. More importantly, uh, despite concentrating more and more in cities and urban areas, our civilization is reaching out to places it had never reached before. And when we combine this with our weird obsession with making surveillance technology, our species' weird obsession with making surveillance technology and monitoring everything through satellites, uh, those two factors mean that we are more likely than ever before to discover previously unidentified or lost organisms. And you can find these kind of inspiring lists. Uh, it's, It's a sad irony because a lot of the reasons we're discovering these these other creatures uh, is because we are in the process of destroying their environment. (laughs) Yeah, obliterating them, creating some sort of um, 
some sort of analog of genocide, right? We are rendering them extinct. And this means, you know, that we might, as we go forward, we might still find stuff. You know what I mean? Like the colossal squid, that's another cryptid that was proven to exist. And when it comes to cryptids, it turns out there are way more than Bigfoot. Way, way more. And we'll get into specific examples after this word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. 
We found examples of, a, you know, we, we don't have every cryptid ever mentioned in this episode, but we found some examples of some obscure ones that seem pretty interesting. So we're going to explore those and then maybe talk a little bit about whether or not they could be real. Pros and cons. Okay, so first off, we've got – okay, we practice this pronunciation off air. Let's see if I can get it. The Inkanyamba? Nailed it. Great. Oh, thanks, yeah. man. Um, the Inkanyamba is a legendary cryptid from southern Africa that lives by waterfalls. Uh, and it most commonly is seen at a place called Howick Falls in South Africa. And it has a reputation for looking like a snake except for the head, which, of course, like you do, looks like a horse. Horse head, that seems like a very non-functioning creature. Would it use its weird horse head to kind of drag itself along, you know, use it like a weird foot? I don't know. You know, because it's aquatic, it makes a little more sense just because it wouldn't have to drag the head around. Do you think it's amphibious, though, is the question. Let's, 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 let's move forward here. So, yeah, like you said, Ben, the Inkanyamba is aquatic uh, and lives in lakes and near waterfalls. And to some, um, it's suspected of being a species of giant eel rather than uh, a snake at all. And it's distinguished from similar creatures due to its uh, odd size, which is over 20 feet long. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's too much. Feet long with a giant horse-looking head hanging out underneath a waterfall. First of all, no, thank you. Don't Let's, go chasing those waterfalls. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, you know, you you hear a description of something like that, um, and it makes you wonder how many times, how many sightings have occurred to get that kind of um, specific description of something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like the horse or horse-shaped head is so specific to me. Well, now, you, you've heard of the water horse, right? It's a film uh, about a small Nessie-type creature. Yep, yep. I just yep. wonder if the name, you know what I mean? Like we've got a seahorse. Yeah. We've got, which has like a long, elongated head and with a snout and things like that. I wonder okay. if it's based on that kind. Maybe it doesn't actually have, it doesn't look like a horse per se. It doesn't have like fur and literally a transplanted horse head. It looks more like a you know, just have as more of an elongated shape. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Horse-like. Yeah, yeah. So uh, according to locals and people who believe in it, it's most active during the summer months. Of, uh, this leads some people to believe that it is migratory or that uh, it's been around so long in the local culture that they believe it has supernatural abilities, causes seasonal storms to come. But if we look at what this actually could be, if this were a thing, uh, then we could say maybe it's a large species of freshwater eel like the Anguilla mosambica or the Anguilla marmorata. Both of those – here's the problem with these. These are large. These would freak you out if you saw them in the wild probably. Uh, but they grow to about six feet instead of 20. Mm. So is this a giant version of an existing thing? Maybe. The problem is that we usually see, we know that fish and maritime animals can grow to unusual size, but we usually only see them reach that size when they're out in deep oceans. So would this lake be deep enough that something could grow to like more than three times what it's supposed to grow to? Mm, It seems unlikely. But there is something really fascinating in particular with this cryptid, and it's that it was found and has been found in cave paintings 
from from native tribes. There are some tribes within the KwaZulu-Natal province that um, that had these cave paintings of these things, or allegedly of these things, mm-hmm. and supposedly they had some kind of supernatural power, perhaps. Like they could influence the weather maybe mm-hmm. or would give good or generally bad tidings or uh, would bring – uh, bad tidings. What what am I trying to say here? Ill tidings. Yeah, it would it would be um it would be bad for you to see one generally. It would be uh, a bad omen. Bad omen. Yeah. Um, Woe betide those who cross the Ikanyamba. Ooh. Also, I have to I have to admit, Matt, I zoned out just for a second when you said a tribe called because I totally thought you were going to say a tribe called Quest. Oh yeah, I know. I almost <laughs> did. I almost said that. Um, but no, it was just, it's that was actually several tribes within in a province. Mm. That makes sense too because this is a very regionalized creature, right? Yes. There's a, a lot of these come to us from the African continent because for a long time, uh, the members of the ivory towers and the academies had no idea what the what, – they had no uh, very well-polished idea of what the ecosystems or the biomes were like and they would just hear crazy stories or rely on – uh, disreputable sources. Or just legends, local or, legends. Or just legends. Because according to some people, uh, especially if you're in the Congo area, you may run into uh, gigantic creatures undiscovered on the land as well. And that brings us to something that I'm surely mispronouncing, the Emela Ntoka. It's apparently around the size of an African bush elephant. Jeez. Uh, yeah, no, it's true. The Amela Ntoka is around the size of an African bush elephant, which is uh, an average of 3.2 meters tall, uh, weighing around 6 tons um, or 13,230 pounds. It's brownish or gray in color, sort of a, a gradation, with a very heavy tail and a body quite similar in shape and and look to that of a rhinoceros, including one long horn that comes out of its snout. But here's the difference. It has four short stump-like legs and it's described as having no frills or ridges around the neck. And the animal is alleged to be semi-aquatic and feed on malumbo or other leafy plants. Um, the Emila and Tuca is claimed to utter a very specific vocalization described as a uh, com- very is a snort, rumble, or growl. So what what the heck could this thing be? Uh, is it just sort of like a, a, a weird pygmy kind of cousin of the rhinoceros? Like, what are we talking here? Right. And why is it – is it uh, a hippo with a horn because it's semi-aquatic? Uh, I hope it's a dinosaur. Whatever. I said it. I hope it's a large reptile. I would love oh. that. Yeah, just something that was left over or maybe an in-between somewhere along the evolutionary lines. Yeah, yeah. Like that um, that guy we mentioned that previous episode, Dr. Roy Mackle, one of the people who's searching for another similar cryptid called the uh, Membembe, right? Mokele Membembe. Uh, he was looking for reports of this creature and then he ran into reports of Emela Ntoka. Uh, you'll hear folks say that maybe it's a relic population of a dinosaur, maybe it's far enough out in the wild that – it's just too expensive to search for it, you know? But uh, it's a, it's the same thing we've been talking about before where there were reports that I believe it was in 1933 when the West first, I guess, heard about this because there was a writer rolling through town, J.E. Hughes, and he wrote this thing called 18 Years on Lake Bangwulu, uh, 
Weilu. And um, he was talking about within this book that apparently he was hanging out with some tribesmen or he had heard stories at least of some tribesmen who slaughtered something that kind of met this description. And, you know, maybe this thing is actually real. And then that, then the guy you're talking about, um, Roy P. What's his name? Roy Mackle. Mackle. Yeah. That dude was saying, you know, also, hey, here's some eyewitness accounts going back to this thing. But we don't have any pictures of it. We don't have any, you know, official pictures. We've we got some paint. bodies. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the problem with this one because it's supposed to be slightly larger than an elephant, and it's supposed to hunt elephants. Yeah, I mean, you, you would think <laughs> you would think that someone would have discovered this or had a a taxidermied version of it in the British Museum or. You know, especially from the age of colonizers, right? You you think something would exist or even um, just what maybe the horn. They're talking about that one specific horn or the skull or something. You'd, you'd have something somewhere, in my opinion, but maybe not. You know, I, I don't know how this is going to work in the edit. And sorry about mm-hmm. that, Paul. But we, we, took a, we, we took a really quick break and, uh, Noel, you, you went and got some water. And it's true. Yeah, and, and I'm now quenched fully. <laughs> and I stole a pumpkin. So now oh, we have that's right. <laughs> now we have a pumpkin. It's kind of changed the vibe in the room, though. I know, right? And the good for the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling more hocus focused. Did you did, did you talk about uh, how this could be something of a of a combo between a triceratops and a uh, a striasaurus, a striacosaurus? I don't even know that one. No, no. Uh, that's that's a good point because we. It behooves us to have some specificity. You're right. I just got excited and said dinosaur. Uh, but saying dinosaur is like saying chair or cancer. It describes a rough concept of a thing. Correct. But there are so many differences. Uh, no, with the Emile Nutoka, we also see the we, – we see descriptions of it that date back pretty far but not as far back as the descriptions – of our earlier super eel, the Incanyamba. Mm-hmm. So the Incanyamba may be an exaggerated story about something that was real. The Melatoka is a little harder to explain. Was it somebody, like in all the drawings that you see of it, it looks reptilian, right? All the depictions. Of course, spoiler alert, there are no photographs. So going to your earlier point, Noel, it, it has a horn. It has, you know, rough skin. It's not covered with fur or feathers. So could they just be seeing a rhinoceros again in the wild, panicking and freaking out? Because I would. This is what I want to bring up. Yeah. When is the last time you guys saw with your eyes a rhinoceros? A number of years ago. About six. Guess I must have seen one zooed up somewhere, but I can't recall which which zoo. Like really San Diego, maybe? Really picture in your mind the last time you saw a rhinoceros. Yeah, it was about six years ago. It was at a zoo, too. It wasn't just, like, on the street. Yeah. Those things are just odd. They don't feel real, Ooh. especially if you live anywhere near a city, like anywhere. It doesn't matter where on earth. If you live near a city, you probably aren't going to see a rhinoceros very often. True. Um, and if, if you just really behold one walking around – it's an it's an odd experience. So I'm just saying, um, to your point, Ben, what you were I'm mm. trying to build off of what you were saying, to just behold one, um, 
may throw you off, especially if it's far enough in the distance. It looks even bigger than maybe it is. Yeah. Uh, just compared to the surrounding foliage or whatever it's near. Uh, I don't know. If it, you saw one in the wild, too, yeah. <laughs> like most of us, since the majority mm-hmm. of human beings live in urban areas mm-hmm. now, that's true. That's a change that happened during our lifetime. Uh, that means the majority of us will see uh, most of the wild animals we'll see are going to be in the animal jails that we call zoos. Or at least in a protected reserve somewhere. Okay, yes, which is better than a zoo, <laughs> sure. And that's not a ding on zoos and being a little bit unfair to them because zoos do tremendous conservation work. And the Atlanta Zoo actually has, a, I, I think, is this huge force in the community. I think they do go do good work as well. And they just expanded and they have the Savannah section now, which is, you know. Oh, I haven't been to that. Yeah, yet. I haven't either. Uh, it's right by, by, down by my house. So I've been seeing the construction going on for quite a while, uh, but I have not been since it's been opened up. So it'd be interesting to check out. I know some people are super anti-zoo, yeah. which I understand. But I also understand that many of these animals would not be able to survive in the wild. And that's why they bring them in and take good care of them in zoos. I I don't know. We've talked about the poaching problem that is severe Mm -hmm. for rhinoceroses. And I mean, take the example of tigers. There are, I think, more tigers living in captivity in Texas than there are in the wild across the planet. Uh, And that's that's, uh, that's from a few years ago. Conservation efforts have upped the tiger population. I actually get notifications about tigers on Twitter. Nice. Doesn't always just come up with some sports stuff. No, I, I, I uh, right now I'm following something called uh, Tiger Tuesday, which I didn't know was a thing, and it's where people just uh, point, uh, just post pictures of tigers. Oh wait, some sports stuff creeps in, but I'm you know I'm there for the animals. Gotcha. <laughs> I should get better hobbies, guys. Uh, but so we've been talking about large creatures in the African continent. And again, as you can tell, the big question for us is how could something be this big and remain undiscovered? But let's go, let's go across the water. Let's, let's explore the story of one of the cryptids that I'm surprised we haven't done a full episode on, and that is the Thunderbird. Okay, you the guys. The fabulous Thunderbird? <laughs> yes. Okay, so quick story to get us into this. Driving around with the wife and kid uh, a couple days ago, mm-hmm. and we're just pulling up to a stop sign, and my son looks out his window and just kind of says, uh, what's that? And it was two huge, I believe they were turkey vultures. Okay. So much larger birds than um, any of us are used to seeing just in the wild at any time. I I couldn't say exactly how tall they were, maybe three feet tall, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Three feet is probably about about three feet tall. But as my son is remarking about them, they put their wings out and fly upwards. And seeing a bird of that size up close was intense. And I don't I mean, Noel, you would have you would have probably um, uh, pee peed myself, <laughs> no, <laughs> or at least jumped out and tried to attack them just to get them away. No, no? I would have pee peed myself, <laughs> okay, and then possibly gone into an irreversible coma. Oh, oh, well, well, we would have taken measures. I don't think you understand sure the level of, of fear I have towards uh, large birds. Yeah, forget it. Forget about it. Well, so here's the thing: Could you, Noel, describe to us? What it would be like to see a Thunderbird. I'd rather not, but I, I would give it my best. 
I will give it my all. So the popular uh, hot spots for seeing these very large bird-like creatures would be uh, in northern Canada and even Alaska. Ben, did you happen to catch any while you were uh, vacationing there in Alaska? <laughs> vacationing. No, I kid. I kid. You I were saw, doing serious work. Yeah, I saw a moose. Uh, and that was enough for me because those those things are huge. There's a problem since we've got this pumpkin here. There's a problem in Alaska for people trying to celebrate Halloween because when they carve pumpkins and they set them out on their porch, uh, depending on where they live, uh, it's like candy to a moose. Sure, because they can, they can oh, smell it from a mile yeah, away, and, and they, they just they come eat towards it, it. And you can't stop them. What are you going to do? <laughs> no, but uh, but yeah, I would I would have freaked out if I saw something larger than a moose, which right. would be well, a thunderbird. Absolutely, it would have been that. And then you could even see them uh, down in Central America. But uh, in Canada, um, you actually there's there's like totem poles that are in the shape of thunderbirds place called Thunderbird Park in Victoria, British Columbia, um, where you can see some of these very things. Um, and they are the stuff of legend, um, mythical creatures, in fact, sort of eagle-like birds uh, that are known for having very powerful talons um, and, and very much present in Native American uh, culture, uh, various tribes in uh, the American Midwest. And as we said in Canada, the Sioux Nation, uh, the Brule Sioux um, from South Dakota um, on a reservation known as the Rosebud Reservation um, has their own Thunderbird legend called the Wakanyan Tonka, um, also known as the Great Thunderbird. So so if you're imagining these things, it's like a a large feathered pterodon or pterodactyl, like huge. Mm-hmm. And Noel, I'm going to show you a picture here and I want you to describe this picture because I have a feeling if you came across this in real life, you'd have a reaction. Look at this picture right here. Oh, I've seen that. Can you it, just it, describe it? It looks <laughs> – it looks like – it looks like a giant Corvid, kind of, which yeah. a friend to Ben's uh, the world over. Um, ben, ben commands <laughs> Thanks, them, uh, and they sort of flock to him, and they bring him shiny things. We work together. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a symbiotic relationship. Um, but this thing— It's like twice as tall as that guy. Twice as tall as this gentleman posing with this, uh, with this taxidermied carcass. It's not, it's not real. Oh. It's not real. It's, it, it's, in imagination, it's an imagining of what a thunderbird, how it's been described. Okay, well, it's it's the wingspan would probably be in the neighborhood of, I don't know, five, ten, five, about twenty feet. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That's that's correct. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the thunderbird evolved from the the word we use now has uh, taken a meaning that evolved from the original mythology. It, it is present in a lot of ancient Native American mythology. You can mm-hmm. find very old uh, sandstone carvings. You can find paintings in caves and so on. And, the, you know, like the totem poles you mentioned earlier. But now – and in the recent in the recent past, the phrase "thunderbird" has been used to describe any large flying unidentified organism in the the U.S. or the quote unquote New World. So you'll hear people like like the common thing people say is like, "Well, it it flew, but reports didn't say it had feathers, so it's obviously a, a pterodactyl or a, you know a relic population of something like you know some creature like that, a flying reptile." But then you'll hear other people say, "No, it's uh, it's 
it's essentially a massive eagle. It's yeah. big enough to take your children. And they'll also say, but uh, those pterosaurs did have feathers, dude. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So this animal is – or this cryptid, I should say, is almost too famous for our cryptids you've never heard of list. It really is. Yeah. I think you just wanted to explore it a little more because – Growing up, if you were ever one of those kids who read those time life mystery books, they all had names that were kind of similar, like Mysteries of the Unknown or mm-hmm. Unexplored Unknown Mysteries of Paranormal. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would always trot out stories about the Thunderbird, usually the same one. There's a story about these guys who we'll save it when we if we ever do an episode just on the Thunderbird. There's a story about these guys who shoot and capture one and have the body. Mm. So habeas corpus and all that. So they they, they ate for a month. Well, they take it back. But then as we hear, you know, in like a lot of those stories, stories of giants from that time, stories about uh, the Siteka and all these other things, for some reason, the proof they had, the tangible proof disappeared. And you can see those uh, reproduction photos, right, that may, may be out and out hoaxes. But we have to ask ourselves – if there was such a large creature now, especially with the popularity of aircraft, how on earth, how on earth have we not seen it? This one, I would say it's possible that it was it was an ancestral memory of a very large creature. But then again, the big birds that we know about, at least in this continent, uh, from what I understand – the big birds we know about that we would see on this continent as early humans were flightless, right? They weren't – Yeah, like the big bird from Sesame Street. Yeah, pretty much, but mean. He – I don't know. He's got a temper. He's when got a cameras dark – When the cameras aren't rolling. Yeah, he's got a dark that vibe. Guy's a, that guy's a real monster. <laughs> and while we're on the subject of terrifying things, let's stop for a moment for a word from our sponsors. Noel, you know, we're joking here about your fear of birds. I'm not joking. <laughs> uh but, you know, there is something that I am genuinely afraid of, and that is when I'm online, when I'm using, you know, my laptop or my phone or something, I'm connected to the internet, I'm afraid somebody's going to come through and maybe look at or steal what I'm doing, find my passwords and stuff. You should be frightened, Matt. Over 100 million people have had their personal info stolen in some sort of major data breach recently. We're talking social security numbers, contact details, your credit score, personal financial stuff. And this was all taken uh, in this instance by Capital One customers. There's actually a good chance that if you're listening to this podcast today, you were affected, specifically you. Yeah, these kinds of attacks are getting more and more frequent and more severe. It's not just Capital One, Equifax, Facebook, eBay, Uber, PlayStation, and Yahoo. Think about all of the places that have your information that we use in app form on a daily basis. So many opportunities to have your stuff stolen and so many uh, reasons to protect yourself. And that's why we try to mitigate this clear and present danger with ExpressVPN. Face it, folks. 
you can't control how big corporations inevitably mishandle your data, but you can at least protect yourself. ExpressVPN is an app for your computer and your phone that encrypts and secures all your data. I mean, think about it. If a breach can happen to Capital One, why couldn't it happen to you? It absolutely could. Yeah, and it's super simple to use. You connect with one click. It's lightning fast. It costs less than seven bucks a month. ExpressVPN is also rated the number one VPN provider by TechRadar, CNET, The Verge, and many, many others. So use our special link, expressvpn.com slash conspiracy, right this minute to arm your with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show and protect yourself. That's expressvpn.com slash conspiracy for an extra three months free. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's get back to the show. All right, we're back. We're back. We're done with birds. We're going to explore something different. So if you... Something even worse. Well, that depends. Worse for me? Worse for me. Oh, what's, what's, well, what's, statistically worse for people is <laughs> the story of the Jabafofi, uh, J-apostrophe-B-A-F-O-F-I. It, the name translates to Great Spider. <sighs> this is also in the Congo. It is exactly what it says on the tin. A uh, huge spider with allegedly a six-foot wide leg span. Yeah, six feet. And supposedly uh, it's a fan of eating monkeys, birds, yes, uh, and even small antelopes. And humans, obviously. Well, of course. Not to mention, the, the, besides their absurd, Ben, as you would say, cartoonish size, they're brown um, and, and said to be uh, darker the older they get, which is an interesting fact. Um, or well, let's not call it a fact. Let's call it a, a detail. Um, and they uh, have a large purple mark on their abdomens. So it sounds like a, a poison boy, right? Like yeah. They've got like some sort of shaped mark uh, and they're black. Um, that doesn't sound good, right? Nature's way of saying – Watch out. Back TF off. That's right. right. Uh, they're said to live in uh, similar um, to the, uh, the much smaller trapdoor spider uh, conditions um, where they burrow into the ground, right? Yeah, but that's terrifying. Can you imagine something that big that's burrowed into a hole? You're like, oh, what's, a, what's that hole? Surprise! What is it? <laughs> God. Was it what ex- a way to go. Exsanguinate <laughs> you, perhaps? Yeah. yeah. Makes really? me, it makes me think of uh, the, the scene in The, the Hobbit, mm-hmm. you know, with the giant spiders, the, the, uh, the Shelob. And is that Hobbit or Lord of the Rings? It's The Hobbit. It's The Hobbit? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember from the Rankin, not Rankin Bass, the, um, yeah, it is Rankin Bass, the animated one with the weird singing, the greatest, you know that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's, there's a part where uh, the spiders get Bilbo and, and crew. It is Lord of the Rings. It's both. It's definitely in The Hobbit. It's definitely in the animated version of The Hobbit. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay. I just remember, you know, he's traveling with the, with, the, with the dwarves, and they get abducted by spiders. And the spider wraps them all up, and uh, it's a whole thing. Yeah. You don't remember that? He's no, got I the, do. He's got the little, the little sword sting. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. Of, I'm thinking of the book. I'm, I'm thinking Is it of the not book in the book? Version. Did they take some license with that scene? In the book, uh, in, in the book, Shalob, the, the spider, the evil uh, spider is in Lord of the Rings. You are absolutely correct about that. And I don't think the spider in the uh, animated Hobbit had a name. It was just uh, creepy spiders. Um, but that's the one that made the most indelible mark on me when I was a maybe kid. Maybe Tolkien had a thing 
for spiders. Maybe he like they were scary to him, and that's why he put it in. He would have loved this Jabba Fofi. And it also makes me think of uh, George R. R. Martin in the um, the uh, game of Songs of Fire and Ice books. Talks about you know the w- the winter that lasted you know years mm-hmm. or whatever, and the spiders the size of hounds is what they say. Ooh, in the book. Well, God. we do have a possible explanation for this. And it's even it's just as creepy. And it's worse, yeah. <laughs> so it, here's the thing, though. Reports of this have been taking place since the 18th century, or since the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And the um, Western Europeans found out about it in 1938 because people from Europe started claiming they had seen these massive spiders and Given the politics of the time, uh, the, essentially what happened is that other Europeans said, okay, all right, well, if someone who has the same color skin as us said something, maybe we should believe them, which is just the opposite of critical thinking, right? And because of these descriptions uh, and because they, they matched so well, they were consistent from different populations. They mm. were burrowing trap spiders, like you said, you Noel. Know, uh, because of this, people treated uh, descriptions of these animals with a little more cr- – they gave them a little more credibility than they would have ordinarily. But there has been one theory advanced about the Jibafofi uh, that's as maybe they're the misidentification of another type of animal that is proven to exist, but it, not in a way that makes it better. It's called a coconut crab. Mmm, that sounds delightful. It sounds delicious. It sounds like something you'd get like at a, a Hawaiian joint. Yeah. You know, coconut crab. A little mm. pineapple dipping sauce on the side. Bring it on. Spot. Well, just for, just for scale, guys, I'm going to show you a picture of how big huh. the coconut yeah. crab is. That is a full-size trash can. It's on a giant trash can. It looks sort of like a creepy lobster. Yeah. Yeah, but on land, just hanging out. A lot of times you'll see them rolling with coconuts, for real, rolling around <laughs> with coconuts. And they're huge. Yeah, they're uh, the largest land crab. Uh, they also, they make an impression. You know yes, what I mean? they do. They're terrestrial hermit crabs. Uh, and Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. They're not the, just the largest land crab. They're the largest land-living arthropod overall in the world. Got it. And we think that. Given the environment of our current age, uh, they are at the upper limit for what an animal with an exoskeleton can grow to be. They're as big as it gets unless the environment literally changes. It makes total sense. And this also gives us some arguments against the existence of this great spider because spiders also have limits to how big they can grow – due to what they could structurally support from the way their bodies are, I won't say designed, from the, the way their bodies happened uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, or the way their bodies evolved. Um, they also have a respiratory system that limits what they, can, what they can grow into. But did they exist in the past? Yes. Perhaps. Or, you know. Oh, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. You're talking about but the – the coconut crab exists. Yeah, that definitely. That's yeah. that's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah, Matt, are you uncomfortable with coconut crab? I think I am, and you know, I think one <laughs> coconut crab is fine. I'm okay with that. 
<laughs> but if if coconut crab has maybe her whole family around, a, a bunch, yeah, coconut um, crabs. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm okay with that. You know they uh, they live probably over sixty years. Whoa! So you could get one and maybe bond with it. Well, that's the same with most crust. A lot of crustaceans, right? Don't they have ex- absurdly long? Lives like the lob the lobsters. I believe that's correct. I learned yeah. that from the film The Lobster because mm-hmm. the Colin Farrell's Colin character, Farrell. Colin Farrell, he wanted to become a, a lobster because it lives a very long time. Mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah, that was that was such a McSweeney's type of movie. It, yeah, you know? yeah, big heady New Yorker type stuff, right? I'm checking right now to see whether or not you can get a coconut crab as a pet. It looks like their conservation status is undecided. The mm. data is deficient. So let us know if you live in an area where coconut crab are around or if you've seen one, uh, whether you think it could be mistaken for a malicious spider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite, just the name alone. Oh, um, we, we're moving on? I think we should. All right, let's do it. We don't have to. You want to talk more about crabs? No, no, just take us there. Okay, I'm, co- I'm, I'm going to take you there. All right. In the form. <laughs> I'm going to take you there with two words, my friends. Okay. Rhinoceros, dolphin. Finally. Boom. <laughs> That's what I say. That's what we've been asking for this whole time. It's like a cryptid whale uh, with two dorsal fins. In 1820, off the coast of uh, the Sandwich Islands, which is a thing, um, and New South Wales, Jean-René Constant Cui, uh, who was a zoologist and anatomist, um, in addition to his pal uh, Joseph Paul Jamar, who was a naturalist, um, spotted what seemed to be never-before-seen species of dolphins. And uh, forgive me, French folk, we don't have the benefit of Casey Pegram on the case with us today. But koi uh, or quoi, koi? What do you think, Ben? Koi. I would go koi. Q U O Y. I would go a koi because and, it's fun to say. Yeah, That's exactly. my entire reason. Koi and Gaiman. And Jama. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Jama. Uh, chose to call this this new uh, underwater pal um, the rhinoceros dolphin. Its official name being Delphinius rhinoceros. There have been a total of nine rhinoceros dolphins sighted swimming side by side um, in, in a pod uh, in the Atlantic Ocean. That's the thing. Yeah, so these are credible witnesses who saw multiple instances of what appears to be a different, they're up to that point, undiscovered creature. And they were probably, like a lot of us listening now, filled with an immense sense of relief because, you know, I think we can all agree uh, the the crappiest, most irritating, depressing thing about dolphins and rhinoceros is that they're not lumped together in one species yet, you know? You see a dolphin and you're just like, ah, I'm 50% there, but I cannot approve of this. I need, yeah. I need that 50% of rhino. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's that's the whole thing with these um these rhino- rhinoceros dolphins is that you know you've got these experts viewing this this pod essentially right hanging out there they're used to seeing perhaps whales perhaps dolphins perhaps killer whales and they see these things and they notice a couple of things are different right it's not that it's not the same coloration as a lot of dolphins that they've observed in the past these are i think they're white and black, like the white spots on a like a black body, yeah, um, similar to a killer whale, but mm-hmm. or at least in the two colors. And they noticed that rather than a single dorsal fin, like you'd see on any dolphin, uh, they had two. 
Right, yeah. One curved fin near the head and one curved fin on the back. Uh, and it's that second fin is placed a little further back than where a dolphin's fin would normally be. And they also thought from what they could see that the pectoral fins were larger than average. And did we say it's nine feet long? No, we didn't. It's nine feet long, 250 pounds. But uh, although that's that's – that's a big boy. That's a big ocean boy. And it's also an estimation from being on a ship mm-hmm. sailing while you're observing these. But, you know, they— with, with a sample size of nine. Yes, and having experts. So this, so this, is, a, this is an interesting case because if there are any undiscovered cryptids or, or large creatures, as we have seen— everything we know tells us that they are going – they are most likely to be discovered in the ocean. Yes. Right. And now – so now we know that just because of that fact, that fact alone, this one has a little more uh, likelihood of being a true case of an of a unapprehended or undocumented, unproven cryptid that is a real animal. But we have to ask ourselves, what can it be? We have to play, you know, the stick in the mud police here. First, it could just be a group of dolphins that had a deformity. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. were the dolphin version of a, an inbred hillbilly clan, which I know sounds dismissive, but what we're saying is they could have just been a, um, a group or a pod that over time had passed a mutation onto one another. Okay, okay, okay. Well, there's, a, there's another idea here that possibly it was a different kind of whale that they saw that actually looks a little bit like a dolphin called a Blainesville's – what is it? Blaine, Blainesville's beaked whale, B-E-A-K-E-D whale. Uh, doesn't that sound like something you would buy at a grocery store? Uh, yeah, exactly. Blainesville, meat whale. Well, you can you can look up pictures of these. It's a very different looking whale, and that dorsal fin is pushed. It looks like it's pushed way back towards the tail. And they've got uh, horns too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very different creature, and mm. if you had never seen one before in let's say eighteen twenty, um, maybe you believe it's just. A different-looking creature. One other theory was uh, proposed by marine biologist Richard Ellis. Uh, he said, "What if the what was called the rhinoceros dolphin was just a normal dolphin that had a suckerfish or remora attached to its head?" Again, the problem of observation. Uh huh. But either way, this feels like. Wait a minute. So they saw the two creatures like together in concert and thought it was a, a super creature. Yeah, it's like maybe they saw it from far enough away that they mistook the remora for being another fin. Got it. But there's a problem with that because they saw nine different – again, the the thing here is they saw nine different instances of this. Uh, So this would mean – this would mean we have to ask ourselves what is more likely? Is it more likely that nine separate remora matched up with nine separate dolphins and attached themselves to the same position on their body? Or is it more likely that there is a, you know, a, a different explanation that they were supposed to have these fins? Still, that gives – this is probably our strongest example of something that might actually be a real thing unless, of course, you're into the idea of an enormous octopus. Okay. 
This has been a journey of discovery, has it not, gentlemen? Mm-hmm. Um, well, next we're going to continue that into into the uh, into the depths with the Akoro Komui. Uh, the native Ainu people of Japan have long believed that Volcano Bay, which is off the coast of Hokkaido, has uh, a population of giant octopuses called Akoro Komui, uh, and they've been sighted supposedly um, or purportedly rather um, for for many many years. Yeah, yeah. There was a British missionary. His name was John Batchelor. He was working in the area in the early 1900s, and he wrote down a sighting in a book he had called The Ainu and Their Folklore, and he said that a great sea monster with large staring eyes had attacked three local fishermen and their boat. So imagine those old woodcuts of a boat sailing and then a leviathan-like creature wrapping its tentacles around the mass Mm. of the plane. It, it was like that, and he said the monster was round in shape and emitted a dark fluid and noxious odor. The three men fled in dismay, not so much indeed for fear, they say, but on account of the dreadful smell. However that may have been, they were so scared that the next morning all three refused to get up and eat. They were lying in their beds, pale and trembling. So the uh, is a Japanese story, giant octopus, I feel like that could absolutely be true. Yeah, there's – I mean, just now that we know the giant squids exist, mm-hmm. I feel like the giant octopus is just waiting. It's just waiting to be found. It really wants to. Wait, wait, wait. wait there was a sighting recently. There was a – there, there were some, uh, some reports out not too long ago about some giant giant squids at the very least. Yeah, mm-hmm. squids. Uh, the, I think that's what we're talking about. The, the colossal um, squid. Mm-hmm, the colossal uh, squid. Yeah, but an octopus would be a little bit different and uh, I think a little more exciting because they're so intelligent. Squids are uh, are relatively intelligent, though, aren't they? No, they're, they're, not, they're pretty. They're, aren't they cephalopods as well or no? Yeah, but they're not a, like the octopus is the, the brains. The of creme the, de la creme. Yeah. It's yeah. the brains of their heist game. Of the tentacled uh, <laughs> sea dwellers. <laughs> exactly. What uh, if they leagued up with rhinoceros dolphins? That'd be <laughs> some stuff. That'd be hot. Yeah. Be a hot mixtape. <laughs> be a hot mixtape. Yeah, that's a good look. Uh, and now we're going to draw to a close because we've we've touched on some that will hopefully be new. I know that we've. I know that I've definitely mispronounced some of these things because I don't speak some of these languages. But we hope this was enjoyable nonetheless. We want to throw it to you. How likely is it that any of these creatures we we just explored might exist? Uh, we can also, you know, there's a whole list of cryptids we didn't name: chupacabra, mantis man, skunk ape, swamp ape, giglioli's whale, which <laughs> just sounds like fun. It, it, it's a giggle inducing. That's for damn sure. Yeah. So. Do you think any of these creatures could be real animals? More importantly, does your local community or region have a cryptid of its own? Is it something that people, like, use as a joke or is it something that they take seriously? Tell us about it. You can find us all over the internet. Yeah. Do you live in Maryland? Tell us about the Goat Man. Allegedly, in Prince George's County, there is the Goat Man, and I want to know about it. I Every time I hear Goat Man, for some reason— I have a parody song of Soundgarden Spoon Man playing in my head, but it's Goat just man, <laughs> come together with your horns, Goat Man. Yeah. So uh, you can give us a call if you want to tell us about any of that stuff. We are one eight three three S T D W Y T K. That's S T D W Y T K. That was a good one because a lot of uh, somebody wrote in not long ago saying I couldn't understand what you were saying. 
Um, that is the thing. It's just stuff they don't want you to know. Call the number, leave a message. You might get on the air. We'll hear it. It'll be awesome. It's that easy. If you don't want to do any of that, just write us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 